0: The Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world for our clients and communities. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. It's a new year, but I'm starting 2022 with some familiar themes, rising house prices and another potential threat to the business of small retailers. Later in the show, you'll hear from Vincent Jennings, Chief Executive of the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association, about what he sees as a threat to his members following the introduction of minimum unit alcohol pricing this week. This has forced retailers to increase the prices of their cheapest beers and spirits, with Jennings arguing that it would lead to a surge in cross-border shopping and the return of booze cruises on our ferries. But first I was joined by Davy economist Colin McQuilla and Owen Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times to discuss the findings from the latest MyHome.ie Davy report on asking prices in the Irish property market last year. This showed inflation across the country of close to 10%. I should of course mention that MyHome.ie is owned by the Irish Times Group and that Colin McQuilla was involved in compiling the report. I began by asking Owen Burke Kennedy to run through
1: the headline numbers in the report. So in their latest report uh, on the Irish property market, uh, My Home and Davey um, calculated that average asking prices for homes rose by 9.7% across the Republic on an annual basis in the fourth quarter of 2021. And that gave us an average asking price uh, for a home of 290,000. The report also highlighted uh, an interesting stat that the average mortgage uh, drawn down in the period hit a record level, exceeded the um, Celtic Tiger era level, which uh, suggested that basically banks were lending, on average, more money to homebuyers now than in the Celtic Tiger era. So that was quite quite an interesting stat.
0: Uh, Conor McCullough, I think in your report, um, at the beginning of the report, it was described as a grim picture for homebuyers. We've got houses for sale at a, a record, the number of houses for sale at a record low, We've got prices rising by nearly 10% a year across the country as a whole. The central bank's mortgage rules are obviously keeping a ceiling on what people can borrow. It's a depressing picture, really, isn't it, for prospective buyers?
2: Uh, it is. Um, I mean, there's 11,300 properties on the website to buy, which is a historic low. So it couldn't be worse if you look at it that way. Um, there is signs that home building is starting to pick up. So there's 30,000 commencements in the past 12 months. So, you know, those will turn into... Um, Completions at some point, um, normally it's a year. But if there's more apartments, it might be a little bit longer than that. Uh, now those will be to rent to a large extent. Uh, so, but there are houses being built. Um, so it is a very difficult um, place that uh, we're in. But I suppose what people know—the lack of supply in that whole issue—and that's well understood. But I suppose what's probably not um, as understood as it might be is that uh, demand has been extremely strong. If you look at our labor market, employment is already above pre-pandemic levels. That's not the case in the United Kingdom, in the United States and other countries. Um, If you look at wage growth currently running around 5%, Uh, if you look at income taxes this year, they're up 20% uh, and income taxes predominantly reflect the people who are at the upper end of the income distribution. So if you look at our economy at the moment, uh, the multinational sector, the technology sector, uh, the sort of people who have higher incomes or higher paid employment is performing tremendously well. And that's not a bad thing in itself, but it is putting pressure on the housing market uh, over and above what we were expecting, uh, certainly coming into the pandemic. And it's the problems of success. Um, so, uh, you know, overall over the past 10 years, uh, you know, housing supply has been slow to respond. Uh, you know, we're seeing the economy performing exceptionally well. And I suppose it just adds to the pressure uh, to it for the construction sector to deliver and on the government to deliver in terms of housing. So uh, over the past 12 months, it's not just a supply issue, which we all understand. It's a fact that people on Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can see them in Dublin, um, you know, they're bidding up house prices and rents. And um, it's a good thing that we have these technology firms and a buoyant multinational sector, but it does create that pressure on the housing market.
0: I don't know if you have any uh, data on this, but obviously there was a flight of people from the country back to their home countries when the lockdown began. Have all of those workers um, for these multinational companies that you mentioned, have they all returned to Ireland? Do we, do we know the story there? Um, and what impact has the fact that people aren't working in offices, they're not going into offices at the moment? I know that won't persist forever. But what impact has that had, let's say, on the rental market in around the Docklands or other uh, other uh, places close to the city centre?
2: Um, very hard to say. There's no real hard data on this whatsoever. And uh, we haven't got any kind of migration data or anything like that uh, we can rely on really. So, um, I suppose I can sort of go is with the anecdotes. Uh, you would have seen sort of rents weaken quite sharply early on in the pandemic, um, falling by some measures around sort of the first lockdown into the summer of, um, 2020. And uh, that's obviously gone away. Rents are back above pre-pandemic levels now, uh, growing quite sharply. Uh, so it looks like whatever sort of, if you saw any kind of weakness in the housing market, it was in the rental sector. And maybe people working from home, moving outside of Dublin, uh, that's where you saw that kind of weakness. But that's clearly been temporary. And now you see rent's very buoyant again. Um, you got to see the pressure on the rental sector. So, um you know, maybe a very small temporary weakness, but that's it. And, you know, certainly for have heard from some of the tech firms that, you know, for tax reasons, um, you know, they've ordered their staff back to, if not the office uh, certainly their country they're locating in so um uh they're sort of back and um, you're i think certainly the rental sector uh, any kind of that sort of any weakness there was in terms of people working from home or moving away from the country has gone away now
0: and some interesting um differences in in terms of regions if you look at dublin the median price of two bedroom apartments was two hundred and euro which was flat on the year it was down, I think, nearly 2% on the previous quarter. Just wondering what's behind that. If you look at the commuter belt counties, um, prices in Kildare up nearly 6%, Mead 5.5%, Wicklow um nearly 5%, uh, etc. So wh- wh- what's behind that, particularly in the drop in Dublin? It seems counterintuitive almost.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't place too much weight now in some of those medium prices because they're not mix adjusted. So if you get a different mix, it can change the the medium price when in fact the prices may have gone up or down. It's so it's it's not really it's a medium price. It is what it is. Um, I suppose if you look regionally, um, outside of Dublin is running ahead, be it prices or rents. Uh, If you look at the lack of supply in the rental market, if you look at the racket like the the, list homes listed for sale in my home, and it's at a historic low outside of Dublin. So the shortage of residential property is actually more acute outside of Dublin. Uh, So I think that's where you're sort of seeing um, price inflation being a little more aggressive uh, in some of the commuter belt counties uh, across the country. Uh, And um, of course, you're starting from a lower base. Uh, prices are cheaper, be it rents or uh, the price, house price itself. So I suppose it's not quite catch up, but it's got a weak supply outside of Dublin, leading to more in- aggressive in- inflation rates. Uh, within Dublin itself, um there's no sense in which it's the, sort of the cheaper areas. It's actually the sort of top end of the market that's also doing extremely well. Had softened a little bit in 2019. It seems to be coming back now. And um uh, we mentioned, you know, the average mover mortgage approval or drawdown is kind of above peak levels. I think what you're seeing at the moment is kind of the top end of the market, again, those higher incomes uh, being quite buoyant uh, because the labour market is performing as well as it is, and that's kind of providing some buoyancy. So I often get asked, uh, you know, are people moving uh, abroad from Dublin or kind of further away or commuting for longer? That is happening, but it's not necessarily a, a product of the fact that um uh, they can work from home. It's just the fact that there's a real shortage in Dublin and people are inevitably being forced to commute from longer distances. You're seeing prices in cheaper areas being forced up.
0: And is there a switch by the construction industry, I wonder, to service um, this demand that's occurring outside of Dublin? So is there a switch away from, you know, are we we seeing a big rise in planning permissions, um, for example, and applications uh, for um, the counties that are recording these double digit increases at the moment?
2: Uh, well, I think, look, if you look at Dublin, the issue is that apartments development has been um, in the ascendancy for the past couple of years. That predates the pandemic um, and, you know, home house building within Dublin uh, has peaked and sort of fallen off a little bit. And that's kind of the lack of available land to some extent. So, again, look, you've seen the big pickup in construction activity in sort of Meath, Kildare, Wicklow. Um, uh, also the other cities, uh, Galway, Cork and, and other areas, Limerick. Um, so I wouldn't quite say it's reacted to what's happened during the pandemic, but just inevitably with the kind of um, uh, pressure on housing supply that you're sort of seeing, uh, you know, be, uh, the pickup that we've seen in the commuter belt counties, Kildare, Wicklomead, over the past couple of years, and that's, that's continued.
0: Owen, in an analysis piece that you wrote in the Irish Times this morning, you were making the point that this time it's different uh, in terms of pressures in the housing market compared to, um, let's say, 2008 when we had that major uh, crash in the economy. Um, It was credit-fueled back then. It's not credit-fueled this time around. Explain that to
1: us. Yeah, well, as uh, Connell mentions in his report, the the explanation for the uh, bigger average mortgage drawdown figure that he pinpointed is basically income incomes have risen quite substantially it's 10 or 30 it's 10 or 15 years since that period so incomes are are much larger and therefore they can command uh bigger mortgages even though there is restrictions uh central bank restrictions on how much banks can actually lend so uh, just to put that it, it put that data point in your head uh the average income in the country now is around 47000 it was around 35 Back in 2008. So that's about a third higher. So even with the restrictions, you know, we're getting uh, bigger mortgage drawdown figures. But if you look at the amount of money the banks are actually lending into the sector, that uh, was about uh, 2.7 billion in the third quarter of last year. If you go back to 2006, I'm picking a random quarter in 2006, but it was around 11 billion. So while banks are lending to individual home buyers at maybe bigger rates, slightly bigger rates, and you'd expect that after 10 years of pretty hefty, uh, you know, economic growth, the sector in general isn't lending uh, on the same level as it was to the mortgage market. And just in, uh, in relation to supply, I know like supply has been ticking up and we're, and we're, and we're getting about 20,000 homes a year, But and we know that's a big issue and that's a big constraint, but I don't think people are aware just how little of the 20,000 homes actually throw out onto the free market. I mean, there's estimates that the government are now buying around a third or maybe even 40% of that total when you remove one-off housing that aren't going to flow out into free market, and when you take in the fact that PRS purchases account for about a sixth, you might get a figure of about 8,000 uh, of those new bills coming out onto the market. So that just gives you an, a, an idea just of how supply-constrained the Irish market is at the moment.
0: Connell, on the supply side, how many units do you think might be built this year, You know, with a strong wind at their back and presuming there are no more COVID lockdowns?
2: Uh, well, we had a forecast of 28,000, which is probably a little bit higher than some of the other um, people around town are going to be 26, 27. Um, I mean, we're going to build 21,000 and a bit in 2021. So you'd hope that in 2022 we can do a little bit better, given that you won't see the kind of disruption from uh, lockdowns, we hope. Um, And I suppose what we're kind of looking at is that commensurate number of 30,000. Uh, and of course, there's sort of a, there, there are starts that happened in 2019. There's 26,500 starts in 2019, never Came to fruition, so um they've kind of gone missing, and hopefully they're still in the progr- process of development. So um, you know, there's a large ramp up in social housing provision um planned for this year. I don't think we'll see those the housing for all targets achieved, uh, but presumably the um, amount of social houses built will step up from the um, circa five thousand. Uh, which you're expecting in 2021. Uh, and then you've got apartment development. You know, if you take even the Dublin Housing Supply Task Force, it's about 10,000 apartments currently under construction in Dublin, which would be, you know, a substantial number. Uh, so, um, you know, 28,000, um, you know, I'd be a little bit nervous about that. Would we have to revise it down slightly if there's more disruption from COVID possibly? And um, people in the industry would say to me that uh, if you look at Irish Water, for example, is a big constraint on getting houses completion completed at the moment. Um, maybe some of the big pickup and commencements that we've seen over the past couple of months is a little bit um artificial that people are rushing through these commencements to avail of a um, capital gains tax exemption, um which will be running out soon. Um, so, look, I think 21,000 in 2021, you'd hope we do substantially better than that. Uh, we're maybe a little bit higher than most twenty eight. Uh, but I suppose most people are going to have twenty six, twenty seven thousand 27,000 as their kind of forecast. At.
0: What's your forecast for demand? I know it's a it's it's a difficult one to pinpoint, but what do you reckon uh, we should be building to meet demand?
2: Well, look, I think there's a pretty strong consensus. If you look like at population growth, um, you're looking at natural demand of thirty 000 to thirty-five thousand units per annum. Um, it, there's not too much to kind of debate there, and then you've got the sort of the overhang of demand from um, the past ten years, where people's demand for housing hasn't been satiated. Uh, by the construction sector, so this is people living at home with their parents. It's people living or renting with them, uh, people they're not related to, and. Uh, increasing numbers. Uh, so um, we had done an estimate following the sort of Central Bank's methodology where there might be pent-up demand over and above that 30,000 per annum of around 100,000 units. Uh, now, I mean, that is, when we say thirty thirty-five thousand um, 35,000 houses built, that's not um, expensive houses in Dublin. You're not going to be able to satisfy um, everyone, you know, just an element of social housing in that uh, and on to people who will be expected to rent uh, the amount of people, or the amount of tenancies is actually contracting at the moment because they're seeing the, the small landlord's exit. Uh, so that thirty 000 to 35,000 is a mixture of you know, social housing, uh, rental accommodation, uh, houses available to buy. Uh, and um, you know we're unlikely to get there, unfortunately, for a number of years.
0: And Colonel, have you any sense of um, what impact the latest lockdown restrictions have had on the economy overall, not just in terms of housing, but uh, across the board? Any any sense of whether it's uh, it's holding the economy back?
2: Um, not really. Um, I, I, I suppose there's the, 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 the very soft impact from the latest round of restrictions. If you look at the amount of people on the um, pandemic unemployment payment, people remember this got up to kind of 600,000 people or so early on in the first lockdown, um, got down to sort of... Um, over 200,000 people by September, uh, fell to 50,000 people um, by kind of mid-late November. And we've only seen a very slight tick up in the amount of pandemic unemployment payment recipients uh, through December. So by December 23rd, I think it's up to 57,000, so a very slight increase. Um, and I suppose the story for Ireland overall over the past couple of years has been that whilst it's very difficult for the people in the hospitality sector, restaurants, hotels, retail, they are a very small part of our economy in terms of uh, certainly profits anyway, in terms of GDP, uh, maybe not in terms of employment. But again, I mentioned the employment data uh, performing extremely well. So, uh, you know, we saw the services PMI out this morning softened a little bit. Again, the transport, tourism, leisure sector hurt by the uh, latest round of restrictions and the, the COVID cases. Uh, but again, how long is this going to last? So I think you know, at worst, this is going to be sort of a temporary dip in consumer spending, retail spending, and um, with very little impact on the labour market uh, in the short term. Uh, and of course, there might be a larger impact if uh, the restrictions have to be tightened, um, or if the uh, these this this wave continues on for a number of months. But uh, I think, as in previous years, it'll be a pretty soft impact, and nothing you'd be too new to, too concerned about yet.
0: Yeah, what's your take on the outlook for this year for the Irish economy on?
1: You know, well, We're going to get uh, exchequer returns actually later today, which will give us a good uh, idea just on how robust the public finances are. And of course, in the midst of all that is income tax uh, revenue for the government, which has just held up phenomenally well over the last year or two. You know, And I suppose that reflects the fact what Connell said was a lot of the people taking a hit from the pandemic are in um, hospitality and many are in low paying jobs. So in general on a kind of macro level the economy is standing up better than you know most of its peers abroad but of course you know that's not to take away from the very severe hit people will be experiencing in the hospitality sector and in some consumer facing sectors and of course then the government has this tricky issue of uh, kind of running down support that it's going to face throughout the year and then we'll probably see you know some of the businesses that are basically going to have to go to the wall, and we'll we'll understand then just what the kind of scarring effect of the pandemic has been, or what the true cost in terms of jobs. But on a headline metric basis, the Irish economy is performing extraordinarily well.
0: Conor, are you expecting a lot of business failures when the supports eventually are withdrawn?
2: Well, I mean that's the big question, Kieran. As look, the evidence so far is pretty good. Um, I mean, we saw the banks implement their payment breaks, uh, we saw. Firms and households come off those payment breaks, and we haven't sort of seen a surge in non-performing loans, and certainly liquidations. Um, now the supports that the government put in there were um pretty uh, helpful. So the Central Bank of Ireland, for example, has done some calculations on what um the kind of uh distress rate might have been. I think it was sort of um before the pandemic around six percent of firms who were in financial distress. That rose to around twelve percent, and it might have been fifteen percent absent uh the supports like the wage subsidy scheme and so on and so forth. So um overall, you I mean you look at our experience over the past couple of years and you'd say we look at the SME sector and whereas in the Celtic Tiger era these people, are, you know, these SMEs are saddled with debt and in a very vulnerable position. SMEs in Ireland have been very cautious over the past um ten years. you meant to say take the amount of bank lending to the SME sectors instead sort of sixty billion in um uh, twenty ten, it's now under twenty billion. Uh so the majority of SMEs now have no bank debt whatsoever. Uh, So they came into this um, uh, period having sort of seen Brexit being cautious again because of Brexit and reluctant to maybe invest. The SRI, for example, has spoken about how our SME lending and the amount of investment by SMEs has been kind of below levels you'd expect. Maybe Brexit is one reason for that. So with that caution you've seen over the past 10 years, the SME sector in Ireland is just in a much better um, financial position to weather this storm. And I think it's done far better than anyone expected. And sort of, um, I remember early on in the uh, pandemic, some very dire predictions, uh, by some bodies about, you know, company failures that just hasn't happened yet. And look, the asset test will be when the supports are removed. And of course, there's going to be some businesses which um, aren't viable and that's going to be a difficult process. But overall, you look at so the, um, experience of the banks uh, in terms of their loans, uh, in terms of liquidations, in terms of, um, the amount of distress that's out there. And you'd say it's beaten. Everyone's expectations and, um, things have gone pretty well so far. But again, the asset test will be when these supports are removed.
0: And just to bring you back to house prices, what are your expectations for this year? It was nearly 10% across the board last year, a bit lower in Dublin, just over 7%. What are you expecting for this year?
2: Well, we have a forecast of 4.5%. Um, I suppose, look, you look at the housing market and you see double-digit rates of inflation. That can't last indefinitely when wage growth is around 5%. So what's happened is, I suppose, is illiquidity in the market. Uh, fewer houses for sale than would ideally be the case. Uh, savings, for to some extent, are driving up house price inflation. Uh, you can see that. In fact, the Banking Payments Federation published a very interesting statistic which showed that gifts, effectively the, mom and, the bank of mum and dad, are effectively in the first half of last year accounted effectively for a six percent deposit, so that's uh, across versus the sort of quantum of mortgage lending. So there's a lot of uh, savings being passed on by parents to their children, uh, being, you know, helping to drive up prices as well. But again, if you said look at the mortgage lending rules; they're they're constrained now in mortgage lending. There isn't really scope for loan to income ratios to increase uh, sharply from here. So. Really, wage growth should be the anchor for house price inflation and house price inflation will return to where wage growth is, which is circa four or 5%. Uh, now again, with the shortage of supply, you know, all the sort of pressures on the housing market we're seeing at the moment, uh, maybe our four and a half percent forecast is a little bit too cautious. I mean, we may see something a little bit more aggressive again. Uh, but again, I think the point here is that leverage is constrained. Uh, you know, people aren't able to sort of take on four or five times their income mortgages that they were able to do during the Celtic Tiger year they're up against that three and a half times buffer so that anchor should come into play at some point uh, but having said that the labour market is doing tremendously well there's a lot of high paid employment in this economy being generated at the moment those incomes are being used to build up house prices so uh, again our four and a half percent I would suspect the, the risk of that will be on the upside
0: and, you know, wider than the housing market, what's your expectation for inflation this year as a whole? A lot of concerns that inflation uh, is going to rise sharply and maybe interest rates, the ECB hasn't hasn't moved yet, but maybe they'll have to down the road.
2: Yeah, with 3.8% on average for, for this year. So that's obviously starting out from where we are now. Um, I mean, at the SRI, for example, looking where energy prices are at the moment we're expecting a 6% peak in inflation early in 2022 so I imagine we'll probably get close enough to that depends what happens to gas prices of course as you're moving around a lot as you speak as um, extra supply comes on stream Uh, but uh, you know I suppose the past 10 years have been very very weak inflation the aftermath of the financial crisis um, the domestic economy only kind of slowly rebounding so you haven't sort of seen that inflation pressure and overheating but we're beginning to see that so you're seeing the tightness in the labour market for example um, you know generating wage growth So the next four or five years could very well potentially be inflationary. If you look at the past year, central banks have said, well, this is going to be temporary. And they said, well, maybe it's not going to be temporary. Uh, That's the sort of lingering scarring effects of the pandemic are going to affect supply chains for some time. Uh, But as well as that, if you look at sort of fiscal policy across Europe and the United States, much more stimulatory than it was. You know, governments running big deficits, adding to demand. And let's not forget that the household sector, whilst it's been a very difficult period for many households through the pandemic, in aggregate, the household sector saved money. So there's a lot of people sitting a lot of extra savings to spend on holidays on uh, discretionary goods, whatever they might want to spend on. Uh, But effectively, you could be looking at a much more buoyant demand picture over the next couple of years. And then there's climate change. If we're gonna take climate change seriously, a lot of the curbs and um, uh, maybe taxation measures are uh, the shift in production from less polluting type uh, activities to, or from more polluting to less polluting, That will be a structural shift in the supply capacity of the economy, which will itself could be inflationary if we do that. So again, I think there's a growing fear in markets that the past 10 years are very disinflationary, weak inflation, central banking, and quantitative easing. The next 10 years could be very, very different, perhaps more inflationary.
0: Okay, we'll leave it there. Colin McCullough of Davie and Noam kennedy of the Irish Times. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. In the next part of the show, I'll be talking to Vincent Jennings of the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association about the introduction of minimum unit alcohol pricing.
1: At EY, our
0: purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Vincent Jennings, uh, thank you for joining Inside Business. You're the chief executive of the CSNA, and many of your members are really worried about the introduction of this minimum unit alcohol pricing, which came into effect earlier this week. And yes, uh, on on the face of it, this uh, potentially could boost their profit margins because and um, the the difference in price from selling let's say a cheap bottle of vino for 5 quid to the minimum now of 740 which has to be charged for a bottle of wine that actually goes into the tills does not it? it it's not a tax that goes to the government it actually goes to the retailers no that's right and um, good morning Kieran yeah
3: no it's um it's it's an unusual one in so far as that um the retailer the wholesaler the manufacturer the distributor they're all going to be the beneficiaries of this uh Consumer uh, will lose out. The exchequer will gain somewhat because there will be additional VAT. But um, there were calls when this uh, bill was being uh, considered in the Dáil, uh, uh, particularly by economist Sean Barrett, uh, which suggested that um, the more sensible route would be to go the excise route. Um, and I know initially that Sinn Féin's David Cullen and in the Sh- in the Shannad also was of that opinion. Um, but we are where we are, and. Um, They've initiated minimum unit pricing and that's the way it is going to be. Um, relating to our members and the beneficiaries, of course, we're only going to be the beneficiaries if there are, um, if the sales maintain their same level or even if they were to dip somewhat. Um, the fear would be that because the state has chosen to move unilaterally, um, and that was totally at odds with what the promises that were made when the bill was going through and in the programme for government and more recently by the Minister for Health. And Stephen Donnelly said uh, this time last year, if we proceed with this policy unilaterally, we risk undermining the effectiveness of it. Now, I have no idea what happened in the five months pa- between that and when it was announced in May. But certainly we do risk uh, undermining the, the, the effectiveness of it. CSNA and, and its members would not object and do not object to the public health aspects of this. And I know that the Irish Times is also in favour of minimum unit pricing. We don't we don't object per se, but it is this most recent thing. And don't forget that Boris's Brexit was only a, a, a thought in somebody's head when the bill was being debated. It is now full flown and we have a very aggressive number of shipping companies selling duty free um, in booze cruises between Dublin and Holy and elsewhere. Uh, And they have reported increases of over 500% in sales of duty-free. So, you know, we are concerned that significant amounts of sales of alcohol will be transferred out of the Irish market. And I suppose because the bill didn't actually require that there be a review in a number of years' time, we'd need assurances as to how we are going to measure the, that, that this is actually working, that, that, that we actually have reduced consumption, because that's, that's the overall policy. That's what everybody is looking for, it, to, to, to reduce consumption. If that's going to be the case, how do we prove it with so many sales on duty free and in the North?
0: Yeah, well, the genie's out of the bottle, I suppose you you won't be able to put it back in at this stage. I suppose I can understand um the concerns that people who have uh, retailers around the border area might have if people have easy access to cross the border and get cheaper booze uh, in the north. Um. But, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, people living in Dublin, for example, are they really going to go north of the border, make a special shopping expedition north of the border just to buy some cheap wine? Um, Are we really going to see the reintroduction of uh, booze cruises?
3: Sure, sure. I, I think that well, certainly the booze cruises is working. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. I mean that, that the shipping lines are, you know, overjoyed with the with 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 the fact that they have this additional income stream coming into them. Um, and certainly, I mean, uh, I don't know as much about health, uh, public health, as the experts do, but I certainly know the psychology of consumers, and when you provide to a consumer the opportunity, whether it is real or otherwise, of a perception of value, um. What they do is they 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 purchase the product, they purchase more than they need of the product and they consume more than they need of the product. And that would be a real fear as to whether or not they will travel 20, 30, 40 miles. It isn't very long ago when that was a very, very regular thing. And they weren't just buying alcohol, they were buying other groceries. And for our members who are not supermarkets, that would be our real fear, that they would move uh, additional purchasing uh, from beyond the alcohol. Uh, into into other everyday items and grocery items. That would be the real fear care. Then it wouldn't be just limited to around the border area. It would be wider than that.
0: Now, a lot of off licenses were uh, complaining for years and years and years that the supermarkets were selling alcohol below cost. and um, This presumably does away with that or at least levels the pitch for those off licenses.
3: Well, we'd, you'd like to think so. But I mean, there has been always the perception and, and the full belief that VAT uh, revenue uh, was also being manipulated somewhat um, because in the in the totality of the purchases versus the sales you can bury uh, below cost. The real problem about all of this Kieran, was that when the groceries order was lifted that they didn't do what they should have done at the time that is the state should should have actually maintained very clearly that alcohol could not be sold below cost but they allowed everything to go and this was the start of it.
0: Uh, right. OK. How much of the market was actually being, I mean, how many bottles of wine were being sold for less than 740 uh, prior to the introduction of these rules and the many cans of beer um, for less than 170 or many bottles of vodka or gin for less than 2070? You know, this is the new threshold. This is the minimum pricing that has to be introduced now for these. Uh, for these products.
3: Yeah, well I I mean certainly I mean we wouldn't have been as guilty of it and guilty is the word. Uh, we wouldn't have been as guilty of it as the discounters and the large multiples. Uh, I mean they had their own brands and everything. And and it is their customers who are going to be most affected by this. Uh, most certainly, I mean that 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 there will be a leveling up, and I think that most certainly the the established brands are going to be the primary beneficiaries of this, because if you have a floor limit of twenty euro or twenty two euro for a gin or a whiskey, um, and you had previously been selling a, an own brand at fifteen or sixteen euro, but 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 the but the brand was you know in the twenty twenty two bracket, and you're now going to find that your own brand is going to be effectively offered at the same price that's not going to wash with people. They, 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 as far as they're concerned, they're going to buy what they consider the premium product for the same price. So I think that you're going to find own brands are going to take a slap. There's no doubt about that. I mean, what I would like more than anything else, Kieran, would be, uh, you know, an assurance by the state that they will review this and that they will show that it has actually worked and that they will show how it has worked. And they will also show the mechanism under which they operated, Because I really find it difficult to know how they're going to prove the loss of consumption and the loss of sales when so many of the sales are going to be outside of the state. How do they get that information?
0: Well, indeed, have you asked them? They don't speak with uh, stakeholders like us. They speak with public health experts. Right. Okay. Well, uh, maybe that's uh, maybe we should get somebody on from the government in the coming weeks and see if uh, see if they can give us a, an answer to that question. But it's it's definitely one for down the road. That's for sure. Uh, something we'll uh, certainly keep an eye on. Uh, Vincent Jennings, thank you for joining Inside Business. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Colin McQuilla, Owen Burke kennedy and Vincent Jennings. The show was produced by Suzanne Brennan. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next week, take care.